Blog Talk Radio. It's February 23rd, 2020. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-host Jeff Brown. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. We may have other guests. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members and the interest of the membership. Working for a Living is a member of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters and is syndicated on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, and Listen Now. You may also follow us on Twitter. Sadly, on February 17th, 2020, UAW President Emeritus Owen Beaver passed away. Owen had a long and distinguished career with UAW. He served as international president for 12 years from 1983 to 1995. UAW extends our prayers and condolences to his family, friends, and all who knew and supported him. This is what his son, Mike Beaver, wrote about his father after his passing. This is an amazing thing to have something written about you by your child who is now well into his adult, near my age, I imagine. My dad, yours and my president emeritus of UAW, (coughs) passed away the day before noon. It was peaceful and he was surrounded by family. My My father served this great union in many capacities. He served with the utmost integrity, commitment, and compassion. He was a man of the membership. He never forgot who he was, and he never forgot where he came from. And most of all, he knew that any power he flexed came from the unity and the solidarity of the membership, who are the ultimate strength of our organization. He led by example, and until his health failed, he walked picket lines, walked precincts on behalf of candidates, and if he saw or heard injustice, he spoke up and led the charge to address it. He loved to talk to our members and was always generous with his time, engaging them in conversation and advice. It was my honor to call him Father. He always thought it it was his honor to be your leader. Solidarity, my sisters and brothers. Let us all please observe a moment of silence as we revere and remember our brother and President Emeritus. Thank you. We'll have some stories about him later in the in the show. Um, let me bring on Jeff here, uh, brother Jeff. Hit the button. It didn't work. Here. Hello, hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, hi, Jeff. <laughs> yes, it took a second to bring you on. So, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, That's good. It's a nice day out here in Flat Rock, so I got out for a little bit. 
Um, got some things to do tomorrow morning in Detroit. And um, I'm just going to take it as it goes. Um, well, it got to 52 here today. It's sunny all day. It's sunny Friday and Saturday. Uh, I was kind of housebound Friday and Saturday. I had a, a bout with my eye that got, I'm uh, not sure, a little infection in it, and it's gone now. So it, uh, it was uh, difficult. I did a little bit of work, but it was difficult to even do any kind of work. I just kind of boosted a little bit and kept uh, uh, soaking up with some hot compresses and things. So that's uh, what you do when you're single guy. <laughs> You know, uh, not to belabor that, but uh, it, it does take a lot out of you when you can't get your work done and you need to get it done. So, uh, anyhow, the rest of the week was uh, pretty good. You know, we had a number of things occur, and we'll get through those in our, our uh, announcements here in a minute. But uh, all in all, pretty good uh, week. Um, you know, we've. Uh, uh, and a lot of listeners out there, and we appreciate the listeners for sure. And we know that they tell a lot of people about us, so we appreciate that as well. So thank you, listeners. want to uh, just take a minute to to recognize you as well, because this wouldn't be anything uh, if it wasn't for you. And uh, we appreciate that. Also, you know, you give us a lot of feedback on the direction and, and where the uh, – the membership really does want us to go. And, you know, we know there's a lot of people out there talking loud. Uh, and we we try to mimic what the memberships really want. We know everybody's angry out there. fact is, we'll get into that in the email again this week. Uh, you know, we, we understand that. Uh, we're always looking for other uh, avenues to make our union better. And you'll see one of those uh, tonight. And uh, we hope that you appreciate the work and effort that went into that uh, in an effort to uh, attempt to make uh, the leadership even stronger and more representative of the membership uh, and more accountable to the membership uh, for their own interest. Uh, so and that's the only way this is going to work. If, if you tie bar them to us, and when they realize what they're doing to us, then they'll start, because it affects them, then we'll, uh, we'll see some different sort of leadership from anybody who's there. Okay, so uh, got anything else, Jeff, on this week? Uh, my son is taking the bar exam on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Oh. He's waiting to get it over with. Well, that's kind of quick. Since he graduated, just you know, what month ago, I guess. Yeah. So he got in there to take the bar within a month. Cause he graduated what the twenty sixth, January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the twenty sixth is Wednesday. So good for him. That's cool. And we wish him the best. We think, you know, obviously, you know, having met him and you know him, he's going to probably pass on the first first go around. You know, he's going to. First opportunity. Yeah, no. He's just going to zoom he right in. He thinks so, Gary. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We, you and him on that. Having met him and talked to him a little bit, he's pretty sharp. And he, as uh, we've indicated on the radio show before, your son was number one in his class until the very end, where he 
wound up either two or three out of his uh, law school. So that's uh, prestigious in and of itself. So uh, congratulations on raising a good son. And, you know, I know he's going to do really well. So and I know we've gotten a lot of comments, uh, you know, congratulating your son and you on having uh, the success of a son like, like you have. And, uh, so that's, that's really nice, Jeff. So, anyhow. He's a good uh, kid. You, yeah, he is. You want to take the first one? Uh, let's see. Announcements? Yeah. Working for a living trust that everybody had a very safe and happy week and are having, are having a happy Women's Month, Black History Month, and ladies, we haven't forgotten that Women's History Month begins March 1st. Right. Uh, so number two, February 17th, a man who works on 5G towers exposes the dangerous dangers to come. As it happens, 5G wavelengths are not the long wavelengths like previous platforms, but rather mini or microwaves, much like your microwave oven. And that is much more dangerous to your ears or head or other things. Okay, go. Um, February 17, 2020, inspectors warn unsafe pork to make its way to consumers under the Trump rule change as the new system will speed up processing lines and will reduce the number of inspectors. Not a good thing. Uh, February 17th, it was announced that the Steve Miller Band will turn Youngstown into Swingtown on June 24th, 2020. So we'll uh, go to CSA for him there a little bit. Yeah. yeah, he's a hometown boy over there, too. Is he? Yeah, I didn't know that. Cleveland area. Oh, okay. Number three, February 17th, 2000. Oh, well, good deal. Okay, here we are. It's February 17th, the United States Postal Service could privatize as early as 2020, and that is not a good thing. They've been talking about no, this for a long service. time. Right. If if there's anybody listening that likes to have their mail come to their house and have it done in a, the most efficient way and least costly way, uh, if you like that and don't want it to go up and maybe have your service mitigated, you know, less service over time. If you like what you have, call your United States House of Representatives and your United States Senator and complain. And you can find those numbers on Working for a Living. Uh, contact your elected official, and I believe those are all up to date again. So uh, just saying, all right. Uh, Number six, feds say smugglers are using camouflage ladders to climb the border wall. That's a brand new wall that they put up, and they, they've, they've painted little aluminum ladders so they can climb them and pull them up and stick them down the other side and climb down the other side, and you can't even see them because they're camouflaged. It looks just like the wall other than them climbing. <laughs> they had one in the picture. They had one. They picked it in. It has a couple of them laying there on their side. 
And you really, if you didn't know what you're looking at, you wouldn't know what they were. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the stupidest thing I heard. It's a wall. Yeah. I just, I'm not, not for it by far. Okay. February 17th, GM announces plans to pull out of Australia, New Zealand, and Thailand. Right. And there were folks that commented maybe that work will go other places. Uh, it is the thought, our thought, and I've talked to pretty much everybody about this, that this is just General Motors taking a look at a at a facility at facilities and saying they're just simply not profitable enough for them and eliminating them so that they can only focus on higher profit manufacturing facilities. And I think that's a horrible decision myself. I think you really need to have, you know, even though it's less profitable, as long as you're making money, go with it because there might come a time when you can't sell all the high-dollar end items. And you'll wish to God that you had that product there that was just an average profit, okay, where people could afford it a little better. So... Um, you're not making good decisions, Mary Mara, not at all. Uh, and this doesn't appear to be work that's going to get transferred anywhere. It just wasn't making enough profit, and that's really a sad commentary because there will come a day because we have a global cyclical marketplace, and there's a lot of reasons for it to start moving in the other direction. And um, <laughs> a lot of reasons, not with you know the least of which is forty. You know we're borrowing forty percent, we're lending ourselves forty percent of the money we're using to service the debt. So I wish I could lend myself that kind of money. This doesn't happen, you know, unless you're a government like this. So eventually it's going to come up to us. And twenty-two trillion dollar, you know, I I wrote. Just, just to stay on this topic about them needing to have more reasonable priced cars that might not be the highest dollar car is the fact that if the economy, or rather when the economy does turn around, um, it's going to be a little, little br- br- brutal. Um, you know, I did a study back in 89 to about 92 for three years most Saturdays in the basement of Michigan State University Library because there was no internet then. And I did the comparative study of taxation on all the other G7 countries. And I actually had occasion to write uh, a comment on one of the posts on social media. And uh, UK, United Kingdom's text system is 33% flat income tax. Everybody pays. It's not graduated like ours is. So it's a regressive income tax. And then they have a 17% value-added tax, which is a sales tax. You've heard that before, value-added tax, I imagine. If you've been listening to this show, you've heard it before. And then they have a 4% 
what's called superannuation. And that's a portable retirement no matter where you go. Whatever 4% of your income is, that's what goes toward your, your pension. And then you get, get your pension from that, obviously. And one of the ladies said in the comment, in the thread, she said, I can't imagine paying them, those kind of taxes. Well, in some measures, because of the fees and stuff that we're paying on other stuff, uh, we do pay a lot of tax here in the United States. But it's not direct income tax or sales tax or, or, or pension that's government-run. Pay it in different ways. Uh, but I, I replied to her comment. I said, that's what, what happens when people want to promise the world and they actually get it through and get it, you know, enacted into law. You know, these pie-in-the-sky programs. And then all of a sudden the interest rates start to go, move up and you hear uh, our president railing against it any time that interest rates start to look like they're going up and there's four costs because it's going to be very difficult to pay the interest on the debt. It's called servicing the debt, $22 trillion debt. The interest rates go back up again, which you know they're inevitably going to do. In fact, according to the Phillips curve, with such low in employment, they should be 8 or 9% right now, depending on which Phillips curve you look at. And that's a completely different thing. But, you know, if we went from arguably 25 to 3% up to 9 that'd be three times what we're paying just to service the debt, 9%. And that would have to come out of our pockets. So that money would, you know, they'd have to increase taxes in order to pay it. You know, I keep saying that there's a lot of things wrong with what's going on. Okay, if interest rates go up, you know, if we can't loan ourselves 40% of the, the money to service the debt anymore, you know, something's going to happen. It's not going to be really good, folks. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just something to be concerned about because at that point, when those things start to domino in our in our economic system, the notion that you can sell a hundred thousand dollar vehicle at any time is simply not going to be the case. Okay, you're going to have to have lower dollar vehicles in order to survive, and they have flushed them out of their system, including what we're just talking about here about. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, and Thailand. So, Jeff, do you have any comment on that? No, she's just making a lot of trouble uh, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, that's General Motors. I mean, Ford's making some pretty good moves, by the way, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. Uh, I hope that you can speak on that uh, at some more detail when, when it comes up here in a few minutes or a few few uh, announcements. So, all right. Well, let me get to the next one. Uh, February 18th, Michigan rocket launch site was selected at Skoda Worth Smith Airport. Uh, we expect to have horizontal launches that occur 
at the previous B-52 Air Force Base, and these will be largely, be selected as the spot, largely because of the low population density and it is adjacent to Lake Huron, which is a great lake. So it's literally, literally about 80 miles across. So anything that might occur right after launch would be over the water. And you know that's you know you might hit a boat out there or something like that, but they're they're pretty sparse uh, after you get out a mile or two. So, uh, all right, Jeff. Uh, February 18th, GM's Detroit Hamtramck assembly parties to begin electric transformation. Yeah, they had a big write-up in the uh, Detroit Free Press today about it. So they are going electric. Right. It's, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit of a hiccup for some of the folk that worked there for a while because they might be laid off for a while or maybe transferred for a brief, brief period of time. But hopefully they'll uh, get back there to their home plant and not be too disrupted as some of the other facilities have been in the past. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, February 18th, there's a typo there, by the way, for folks that have this these notes. Uh, February 18th, uh, the new normal. Well, websites seemed weird at first, too. And now the new normal is electric vehicles. So think about that. Uh, they're they're going to they're gonna be here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know some people talking about or maybe even have purchased electric vehicles here. So, anyhow. All right, Joe. So. Number 11, February 18th. Teamsters Justice Department oversight finally ended after 30 years. That's a good thing for them. We may be heading that way. Well, we don't know yet. Uh, February 20, Lordstown Motors publishes a video announcing that it wants to be the first electric pickup truck to the marketplace. So that's kind of a nice uh, thing for Lordstown Motors there in Youngstown, Ohio. We'll see how that goes. You know, GM still got their their thumb on the button there too. You know, they're still uh, a player. We'll see how that all turns out. So, February twenty first, Target warehouse employee workers rally to become the first location in the U.S. to unionize. I know they've been working at it for a long, long time. Um, congratulations to those folks. Right. You want to take the next one, Jeff? Okay. Uh, February 21st, Ford takes on Tesla in Europe with a Mach-E Mustang. Um, I work at the Mustang plant for... Long time. I retired from there. I don't know where they're going to make this electric Mustang yet. Um, I know they're making the battery plant on the property at Flat Rock, but uh, I can't see uh, Mustang owners buying an electric Mustang. I think that's going to really damage the, uh, the car. Sales wise, 
people want to hear that uh, QT noise coming out of it. So that's all I can say for now. Um, we'll wait and see yeah. what happens. Well, the the four wheel drive. Don't even look like a Mustang either. Uh, I mean, they got the Mustang pony on the front of it, <laughs> like you say. Um, you know, the four wheel drive Tesla, the one that has, you know, if you got two motors, the two wheel drive, or it's like, you know, I forget how fast that one is, but I committed to memory if you have the four wheel drive in the Tesla, um, and I can't remember which which version, but it goes from zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. That That's Corvette kind of numbers. Uh, the, the fastest one, the, the new one, is doing like 2.8. And the old one uh, was 3.2. And every now and then you'd have one reporting a, a 2.9 just under that. That's the front, front engine. The mid-engine is doing 2.8s and may get down a little lower than that at some point. So. So uh, it's an interesting thing. So if Mustang comes out with a four-wheel drive, four motors on all four wheels, this this could be quite a hot car, you know. So we'll see what it does, yeah. Well, anyhow, um, let me get to the next one. The Teamsters chief, Fee Hoffa, on February 21st, announced that he will not run for re-election as president of the Teamsters. And that's an interesting thing. He's been there for 23 or five years. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's going to be a change of uh, uh, historic proportions, I imagine. So, um, And I'll take the last one. We had the two in a row there. So February 21st, Michigan's public schools face an educator shortage crisis. And I, I, I ran into a fellow at lunch graduated from Central Michigan University and uh, he got his teaching degree and, and uh, teaching certificate from there and couldn't get a job in the public school system anywhere and so now he's out doing as a finished carpenter so um, it, it's uh, a little dichotomy there kind of uh, it's interesting that we're having a shortage at the same time we're turning you know, qualified guy away. So we'll see what happens with all that as time goes by because I'm sure Betsy DeVos isn't going to be the Secretary of Labor forever. Let's, let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, my, right. my son uh, um, wanted to be a teacher, but he couldn't find a job out on the west side of the state. Um, yeah. So that's what made him going to law, but uh, yeah. who wants to be a teacher in Michigan? I mean, they, they get treated like crap. They have to retire. Mandated retired after 25 years. Um, they have to put a portion of their pay back to the state. Um, Michigan is not a state for uh, it's been good for teachers at all since um, John Ingers days in Lansing. Okay. Well, emails. I want to start the first meeting. Yeah, emails, right? And and comments. There's okay. some of these are comments. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Some of you I've known for years. Some I've never met. 
all of you have helped me in my journey in unionism and helped develop my beliefs and knowledge of unionism. Sister Brotherhood Solidarity and UAW. Uh, thank you for being active on social media, elsewhere, and helping other brothers and sisters on their journey. Y'all may not have known anyone was watching, but I definitely was, and I know others are still watching and learning. Thank you all from the bottom of the heart. Name withheld. Uh, and from all of us here looking for living, we say thank you. And that's why we do the show. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he uh, this is a gentleman, your brother. Uh, he, he addressed this to a lot of people, including us. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we we thank you for sure. Uh, and we're glad that you're paying attention. And I happen to know that you have seen some of my work uh, outside the show. And uh, I hope you learned from that. But I want to say this. Um, the learning journey never ends. You know, I mean, I, I learned something just yesterday. Okay. Even though I was kind of laid up with my eye, hard to read and stuff, and back on, on point now. But, you know, one of the things I didn't know, okay, was, and this deals with veterans, okay, but we have veterans committees in the UAW. I didn't know that a green porch light meant that that household had somebody from their family give the ultimate sacrifice and died in, in combat. Uh, so, again, the, the, the learning journey in labor never really ends. So, and there's lots and lots to learn. I mean, you know, you're, you're starting to become familiar with the com- contract and you're somewhat familiar with the Constitution and there's a lot to learn there. Uh, there's so many uh, places where they're cross-referenced in there that you don't even know they are unless you're familiar with the whole Constitution. Of course, then there's federal law that affects labor. And then inside the uh, UAW and the grievance procedure, there's written rules about grievances and uh, even a timeline about grievances. And, of course, there's the umpire board and umpire decisions. And every, virtually every paragraph in our union, especially the old, the old paragraphs, have an umpire decision on them. Many of those came from Chevrolet Flint Manufacturing, where I worked as Local 659, where I, where I, I hired into. If you browse those, those uh, umpire decisions, you'll see. I mean, these, these are people I knew. You know, Jerry Harris, you know, um, um, Bob or Bill Riddle, you know, these were chairmen from the local there and, uh, you know, old-time chairmen that were really pretty cool people. But they, their names are just throughout all of the uh, umpire decisions. So, and those are, you know, manifest. There's a lot of them. So just just know that the journey doesn't stop 
by just reading the con- contract or reading the Constitution. You know, the Public Review Board has uh, some almost 2,000 decisions that it has. So, you know, you might, you know, familiarize yourself with some of those as well. So, that, again, the journey really never ends because you're going to learn something every day about something that you just didn't know. There's some nuance out there you may not know about. And then how academia affects that. What are the the opinion leaders, the you know, the fourth branch of government, for example, the, the media, the, the press, mainstream, mainstream press, and this sort of press. You know, as I went down to pick up our membership cards, um, I found out that the Michigan Association of Broadcasters uh, thinks highly of our show, by the way. And uh, they they had a lot of nice, kind words about us. They've been hearing a lot of stuff about us. So um, we uh, we learned that. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things, and we educate people and they're listening. And we you know we we try to do our best with you, give you the best information. We're not here to to you know play to your. We know you're angry. We're going to try and fix some of the things that make you angry over time. And you'll, you'll see uh, one of those things yet tonight. So having said that, I'll let me get to the second one. That's, geez, can you imagine? That's just the first one. We have, we have just a few, but uh, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty poignant. So it's, it's worth um, spending a little time on them. So, uh, brother, I hope you and the rest that are listening uh, heed, heed that. There's a lot of stuff out there. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, uh, besides things I just talked about, remember that Walter Ruther said that the bread box is tied directly to the ballot box. And we, as a union, brothers and sisters, should never forget that. And we need to vote in unison in order to make our voice heard rather than be splintered everywhere, because that's when we're most powerful. Okay. And we can talk, well, you know, I was, I was chair of the Democratic Party here in mid-Michigan and where the capital sat. And I wasn't just, I'm not just a past chair, I'm the most successful past chair. We took the county commission from eight Democrats to 12, with only, you know, eight to five, 12 to one. And that was quite a, a feat. To be, to be able to accomplish. So, and pretty much everybody else, we had a few Republicans in different areas. But why that was, you know, one is my knowledge and ability with politics and the fundamentals of both management in order to put that all together and marketing, you know, all of those fundamentals. But more importantly, I did it because I represented the members, 34,000 active and retired members in our area here of the UAW. And I partnered with the AFL-CIO, another 20,000 active and retired members. So we, we were 
over almost 55,000. Uh, we were almost 55,000 members that we were influencing. I was very active. I was out front on everything. People said that, you know, if they ever did a collage of my, the candidates I supported, I was always, if they had a fundraiser and the media was there, I never got in front with them, but I stood behind them to the point where candidates that we didn't support would try to put me in the background of them as they spoke to the media. They would reposition themselves in the camera to try and catch me, me in their background. It got that sophisticated. And they knew it. Our opposition knew it. But because of that, and when we made, you know, it wasn't my decision to endorse, but when we did endorse, I was the point guy. Okay, everybody knew that if I was there, that this is somebody that labor supported. Okay, so it was very, very interesting uh, to watch that unfold. So it goes back to we need to stick together because, you know, while I was the, you know, the front runner for, for labor, you know, I mean, people that, that didn't even know me personally, I've had other friends say, I was just talking about you, some some restaurant, and, you know, way out that I'd never been at. And they, they said, oh, you know UAW Leroy? That was the generic term for me at one point. And it's not braggart. It is something that unified our labor community just because of who and what I was and what I did. Okay, everybody knew that I was the representative for labor in the media. And that that flops both ways because it makes a lot of people jealous, by the way. Okay, so you got to be careful with it. And now I just reference it just, just by way of success. Okay, it isn't braggart. It's by way of success. This occurred, and it was a dynamic that allowed us as union members to absolutely take control. And we didn't support anybody who wasn't labor-friendly, by the way. So, you know, if I was standing with them, they were labor-friendly and everybody knew it. And that's what we don't have today. People out there willy-nilly running for office that could give two hoots in hell about us. And some of the ones that say they do, if you really look at their record, what they've done when nobody's looking, remember the measure of persons, what did you do when nobody was looking? Okay, and did you ever support anything that was unpopular that was right? Okay, that's a true measure of a, of a person, really. So uh, if you look at what they did when nobody was looking, or a while ago, even. Then you can start formulating who and what the candidates are. Take a look. If, you know, we're off on subject point here just a bit. But take a look at our show that we did after the uh, State of the Union. 
Jeff and I did a show at 11 o'clock at night. And there's some uh, of the, the criteria that we were looking for. And that's on that page. You don't have to listen to the whole show. It's only about 20, that's 30 minutes long. But the criteria that we were looking for is on that page. And, and you know, it, it's not good by either side, okay, sticking up for labor at all. And this is not just labor. Part of this is the genuine genuineness of fixing our country, okay? And we just didn't hear it. And we've had the governor who gave the rebuttal on this show, and I think she really missed it. And a lot of my longtime high-level union friends think the same thing. Missed a great opportunity. So that's that's an aside. Let me get back to the the uh, email. Jeff, do you have any comments on that? While I, you know, kind of put that one to bed there. No, great job. Well, you know, it's about unity. You know, we we can't yeah, be all is. over the board. We, you know, our, our leaders got to pick somebody. Then it starts with leadership. Our leaders have to pick somebody that we know is labor friendly. It's going to be labor friendly. We're going to have their ear all the time or at least our leaders are going to have their, their, their ear all the time. Okay. And we're not seeing that. And now we've got past presidents all over the board out there right now. And I had a, uh, a conversation with a person that, that he was a cap coordinator for Region 1 C and D uh, for a while, and uh, he, he's disappointed in the leadership in the politics right now. So, that's just my opinion, and, and you know I don't want to call call my brother out too much, but you know there's a lot of people kind of going, we're we're not unified, and that's the message I'm kind of sending out there with this right now. So, but anyhow, let me move on. Um, oh, geez, this is something to do with politics. I didn't realize. Next one is number. This is uh, number two. In my opinion, should Bernie be the should Bernie be the Democratic nominee, then you can expect the country will be voting very differently for the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, so as to, again, have a divided Congress, name withheld. Well, that's a very interesting uh, observation, Um, and if that occurs, then Bernie will not have a free hand to do just what anything he wants to do, because it's going to take, you know, both uh, houses and the uh, House and the Senate in order to uh, achieve what he wants to do. So, uh, you know, we don't know who's going to wind up being the nominee. Or there's, there's some other stuff going on. We'll get into that a little bit later. Maybe a third independent candidate might come up. You know, I, I actually heard that Jesse Venturi might be running. We'll see. Uh, what would happen, just so you know, that would send it into the House if they had nobody got 270 electoral college votes, that would send it to the House, and that's Democratic, so make an interesting uh, uh, thing to occur. So, you know, don't don't shy away from, don't be mad if, if a third uh, or independent candidate comes out. Uh, there's been discussion around here about that as well, so we'll see what happens. So, uh, so you want to take number three, Joe? Sure. Hi, last week's email from the UEW member who said that either international or 
part of those locals have the best interest of the membership. And because of the lack of cooperation, coordination between the locals with that whipsawing and also causing jobs to be transferred to third-party companies that drive wages down in a wholesale, in my opinion, is also the opinion of the most active and retired members. Do you have any suggestions how, Suggestions to stop such wholesale wage suppression? Name withheld. Um, yes, we do, but we're going to talk about that more later in the show. Okay. Thanks, John. Um, number four, uh, in case you missed it, the, the email referred to above, let me read that for you again. I've been union most of my working life. I was in the grocery store union, workers' union. I'm a journeyman mason, local 179 out of Youngstown, and UAW local 1112, and now 2209, and I'm third-generation UAW. I hate to even say this, but with the major corruption in the IUAW and lack of representation locally and on the floor, what is my union's role anymore? I really see no use for the union, and that's not something I say lightly. If anything, the union makes more more difficult and confusing to us peons on the floor. Makes things more difficult. There is a loophole for every paragraph in the contract, and our bargainers help them put them put them there through intention or ignorance or both. The international sold us out long ago, agreeing to contract language that cannot be undone. They voluntarily crawled into the mouth of the crocodile that will never release its bite. Locally, there is no representation on the floor. Committeemen won't write grievances. Tell most of the time they don't even answer calls. So I never even put one in. Shop chairman, due to the competitive operating agreement, have been whipsawing themselves against each other, maybe egotistically, instead of communicating with other chairmen and fighting to help each other. Instead, they give, give shit away to steal work and tout how they save their own plan. There are the usual good old boys, and if you're not in that club, you almost feel like you're on your own. Management laughs at the threat of a grievance, and I heard one guy say, I could care less about your grievance. Wait, too. They don't matter. And he's right. Chances are your call won't even get answered. And if it does, most definitely won't result in a grievance. So you put a target on your own back and nobody to call if you get retaliated against. Management doesn't care if a grievance is written. They'll fire someone knowing that it'll take two years to resolve the grievance and only the employee gets hurt with lost wages, etc. We have a new guy running for committee and I hope he gets it, but I don't think it'll help. It'll be like taking over a house that has collapsing foundation, weeds growing in the living room, the roof leaks, and all he has to fix is a bent flathead screwdriver. 
if you were to come back for one month, you would be appalled at the state of the third union you once built so strong, so bad. They've given so much away. They're nothing more than HR. You can get more accomplished through management than with the union. Name withheld. And our comment last week was, we understand the frustration and anger among the, among the members on the floor in this current culture. It took a long time to get to this point, and it will take some time. And support of the group void of personal agendas from the members on the floor to correct this. In the meantime, the appeal of our ratification vote has holds some promise, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more on that later in the show. I'll, I'll update that. So that's the uh, comment in number three, basically acknowledging that that's uh, a lot of the members' mindset right now on the floor. And that's really, really sad. And we went into some detail here tonight again to get that out to you. So um, just, <laughs> you know, just even reading that makes you almost sick to your stomach. You know, I, I just, you know, it's been bad for a while, but this is this is kind of sad. Uh, let's move on to definitions. Uh, we got one definition. I'll take that. Uh, the word is pander, P-A-N-D-E-R. It's a noun. It's also used as a verb on occasion, but we chose the noun version. And it means to provide gratification for others' desires and someone who caters or to or exploits the weaknesses of others. Gratification to others' desires. In other words, let's say, uh, you know, that you want to have a special convention or you're angry and you think a special convention will fix everything. Well, people will go out there and pander to you saying, oh, a special convention, that's the answer to all of your your woes. And it may or may not be, but that's the definition of pander. Rather than get in there and do some nuts and bolts, they just throw something out that you can rally to and really it doesn't go anywhere. In fact, I think they were supposed to send the ballots out Friday and they didn't have the numbers in order to do that in my understanding of it all. So um, all of that bluster was for nothing. It was only divisive in the membership, and that's sad. You know, here we have uh, the ratification vote appeal that is very powerful for the GM contract appeal of what what went on there. I think some of you read that. And tonight you'll hear something that we've added to the complement to try and fix uh, the idea of selling the membership down the road. Okay, so we'll see. Uh, Jeff, you want to take this week's quote? And this is really kind of cool, this one. Sure. Be free until there's enough work in, in this land to give everybody a good job. And that was from Ella Josephine Baker. She was an African-American civil rights and human rights activist. She was largely behind-the-scenes organizer 
whose career spanned more than five decades in New York City and in the South. She worked alongside some of the most known civil rights leaders of the 20th century. I have heard of her name. Um, yeah, she's quite a woman. Yeah, she was mostly in the background, though, Jeff. I mean, if, you know, if you look her up, Bella Josephine Baker, if anybody chooses to look her up, just, you know, look her up. And she's, you know, she it says, you know, she admits that she's in the background on all the civil rights things, but she was working with her. I think she finished up in, like, 82 or something like that, or 85. Uh, so she was, you know, in 50 years, that takes her back in, you know, the 30s. Right, so uh-huh. uh, she yeah. was, uh, you know, at, uh, uh, there doing doing a lot. I mean, we're, you know, we've been at it for over fifty years here now. So, um, you know, we we've done some interesting things, but she's done just amazing stuff. And uh, you know, virtually every civil rights leader, you know, white, black, or indifferent, she was right there with them. Uh, you know, and, and worked with presidents behind the scenes. I don't know how many committees that she was on or, or uh, councils, but I'm sure it were manifest. Uh, so quite an interesting lady, lady and i just repeat that uh, quote, and I'll do it. Uh, People cannot be free until there's enough work in this land to give everybody good jobs. Okay. And good is implicit in what she said because when she said it, you know, a job was a good job, virtually any of them, because you can make a living on minimum wage. You could pay all the bills on minimum wage. And that's what minimum wage was intended to do, pay the bills. Nobody had to have two and three jobs to do it. So, um, Jeff, do you have anything on a black history report? I know you posted a lot of really cool stuff on the uh, um, Looking for a Living page in the last couple of days. Yeah. So. I got a few of them. Few of them. Oh, I won't be long. Um, let's see. I found uh, some information on the creator of famous Kimmel's cookies, um, chocolate chip, bite-sized. His name was Wally Kimmel's. I can tell you they are good because I've had several bags of them in my days working in the plant. Uh, I didn't know who made them, but they are good. (laughs) Okay, here's one I found very disturbing. Uh, Tuscany syphilis experiment was done between 1932 and 1972 by the U.S. Public Health Service Macomb County, Alabama. The main purpose of this experiment was to observe the natural progression of untreated syphilis in rural African-American men. This was done under disguise of receiving free health care from the United States government. a sad day when we have to talk about stuff like this, our government poisoning and killing our own people because they always have and they will continue to do so. 
Um, another one I found very interesting that I didn't know about. The first Michigan Colored Regiment. The first Michigan Colored Regiment was organized at Camp Ward, which originally stood on this location from, from August to October 1863, a year and a half, draft riots and protests against the war. This Negro regiment consists entirely of volunteers. During training of during training, the regimental band was forced and toured southern Michigan to recruit additional volunteers. Mustard here was the 102nd U.S. Colored Troops, February 17, 1864. The 900-man unit left Detroit March 28, 1864, for service in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. More than 1,400 men served in this regiment during 19 months in the field. 10% of this number died in service. The regiment was disbanded in October 1865 in Detroit. Um, I don't know exactly where in the Detroit area. I didn't know about this one either. Um, that's about all I've got for today, Leroy. Um, okay. Malcolm X's birthday was um, this week on February 21st. Oh, I'm sorry. May 19th, he died February 21st, 1965. He was murdered. He didn't die. He was murdered. That's right, in front of his kids here in Detroit. Um, Well, you know, he's from Lansing. He's actually raised in Mason, Michigan, with his uh, uh, foster brother, Cyril McGuire, who was the uh, um, president of local, later president of local 650. To UAW and then went on to be the uh, education director and the CAP coordinator for Region 1C. And that was his foster brother in the, the family that raised Malcolm X. And I believe he graduated in Mason High School, but he known for uh, his uh, comings and goings at the train station on Washington and you and I visited that Jeff a few months ago mm-hmm. uh, and that was a very very nice thing we couldn't get in they had a meeting going on that day for some reason it's owned now by the Board of Water and Light so that's our local uh, municipal uh, power authority here so in the Lansing area uh, so uh, yeah he's he's quite a quite a fellow he was actually everybody thought him as a radical but uh, when others wanted to go radical, he uh, showed up as the, the mediator, saying that that's not going to get us what we want. And he was about success rather than just going out and uh, uh, you know being insightful and causing uh, division in the ranks so to speak. So he tried to stay and keep everybody unified and stuff. So just a little more insight on Malcolm X. I, you know, as a young person alive, you know, still in my teen years when all of that was occurring, 
uh, I often thought of him as in a more negative sense. And as I've come to educate myself on that, and, and you know, Jeff's helped and others, uh, Cyril certainly helped, Cyril McGuire, his foster brother, uh, um, certainly he and I had many discussions about Malcolm X, and uh, he uh, uh, put him in a much different light than he was portrayed in the media. So a lot of the stuff in the media you really shouldn't pay too much attention to because it is just somebody's opinion out there in the end. It's a lot of, you know, oftentimes not all that factually based either. So, uh, and we just saw a round of that. Um, so we'll uh, let, that, let that one go there. But, I, I you know, uh, one thing else, one on Jeff's report, um, there was a meme pages just today that said, you know, why did so many uh, UAW members vote for Trump? And the, the meme depicted that somebody just told me it was white power. And, um, you know, the, the, the person that posted this was a little angry that, that that's the case. And then somebody in the last comment or some in, in two hours time there's some fifty comments to this meme. Fifty two I think it was. In a couple hours. So it's a lot going on there. And uh and then somebody said, Well, racism is alive and well and everybody would like to deny that and say, Oh no, we have a fair, equal and justice just United States of America except for in my own township when an African-American runs, when a black person runs for office, they can get elected to trustee under the board because you don't have to have a majority of 50. You just need to get about 28% among, you know, the, the uh, five. You have to have, I guess, probably 20, I guess, percent in order to get into the top five. But oftentimes there's a little bit more than that. And when an African runs in in both trustees or township wide, but you have to get fifty plus one to win, in both instances they're getting with with one exception, in both instances, whether it's trustee five people and, you know, you don't have to have a majority. You just have to have plurality kind of thing. Uh, and uh, they're getting 30%. So in a very progressive, upscale, suburban township, number one in the state of Michigan, 70% of the people are latent racists on how they vote in the general election. And that's a sad commentary about my own township. Now, that's not the case everywhere, and I suppose that the number 5 PHI comes in, and it's more likely 62% nationwide. But we need to take a look at ourselves, all of us, because there's some pretty good people out there of all colors and races. Okay. He's got to be better 
We simply have to be better. You know, you can make your own personal choice on everything. But when it comes time to your leadership, there's some pretty qualified people out there, very highly qualified people. But, you know, you really got to take that race card out of it and take a look at their qualifications. So I'm, I'm just sad to report that, actually. You know, because, you know, I, I worked real hard over decades to break down those barriers. And I've seen, you know, all that work destroyed in a few instances over time. And I'm just, you know, really disappointed in it. I mean, a lot of people working hard to make sure that everybody gets a fair shake. It shouldn't just be, you know, I don't know. It just shouldn't be one-sided, I suppose, is the best way to put that. And we see it in the numbers if we're talking like, you know, in February we talk about Black History Month and the numbers go down a little bit. When we had Pam Gerald on, ran for black chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, numbers went down. So we see it right here on our radio show. you got to be better than that. This is 2020, not 1860. Thank you. I'll get off my high horse on that one now. Anything? Anybody else have anything? Quite a few people in the switch. No. So I don't know. just got any hands up. Jeff, you got anything? I agree with you, Leroy. I've seen some posts over the week that I didn't uh, really yeah. like from former coworkers. Yeah, right, right. Well, this was an interesting name today, and there were comments on both sides of it, you know. On and uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, we're, if we're going to have solidarity in our union, it can't just be white solidarity, okay? And it can't just be male solidarity. That wheel is round, and the later versions of it are depicted in color, every color. And there's a reason for that. Wrap your head around it, brothers and sisters. I know there's a lot of people out there who say, oh, this happened to me, and that happened to me. Get over it. You know, you can go change the world tomorrow if you want. Just go do it. Okay, let me get into my report because we're getting a little long here. We're a little over an hour. So um, Owen Bieber, our past president and president emeritus, passed away. Uh, I have at least one really good story about it, about him. Uh, You know, I defer to Jeff. You have any stories about him? And if our other brother here has a story, you raise his hand. We'll bring him in on this one. No, I don't have too many stories about Owen, but I I do have some one about um, Doug. I actually met Doug Fraser back in the early nineties for a visit, but we're supposed to be talking about Owen. Yeah. So Right. Well, you know, I mean, they're cut from the same cloth, so I mean these are good men. Uh, um so 
uh, seeing no hand there on that one. All right, let me let me tell you my little story about Owen myself. Um, our local union, when I went to the uh, my last plant and last local union, uh, the Jam uh, Parts plant in Lansing, we had our 20-year anniversary for our local being us having our charter. And as it were, we uh, invited, you know, Bieber to come and speak. Now, there are a number of things. Uh, One, uh, that were important. One was after he spoke, okay, he was out on the, you know, the front lawn. After he spoke, there were General Motors minions who went into the plant manager and the plant personnel office and got on the phones and were reporting directly his words to other people at the GM headquarters, reporters. And this was before cell phones. I think it was like 89 or something like that. 90. I think it was 89. So uh, long before cell phones. So they, they went in there and they, they, you know, they commandeered the the, uh, the plant manager and, you know, leadership and local, or the uh, plant facility, commandeered their phones and were, and, you know, they'd taken copious notes. They were, you know, these were people that were sent there that were, you know, able to take shorthand. Back in the day, that's what they had to do. Uh, so they they were looked reading back their shorthand to every every word he said. So you know every nuance of a president in that time and that era was important to the corporation for what they said, and so much so that they had a cadre of people, not just one or two. They had several out there in case you know one of them missed something. They would then they. You know, obviously, you know, taking all the notes and, you know, milled those down to get what he actually said, because shorthand is a little different, maybe, from one to the other. So, you know, it shouldn't be, but you never know. Somebody might miss something in that environment. It's not like you're sitting at a at a desk, you know, in a courtroom or something like that. So, uh, his words meant a lot to the corporations. The other thing that occurred, and this was me, handed me personally, see, uh, I was, um, even though still uh, new at this location, a couple years, I was pretty well respected. It was interesting because Reuben Burke, the chairman, comes over and he's going to introduce me to Reuben Burke. And Reuben goes, "I, I was wondering where you landed, where you've been. And, and the chairman's mouth dropped wide open. And said, yeah, I really do know him. We've had people here saying that they knew the, 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 the regional director from the past that were bragging. And I never said a word to anybody. But, yeah, we were and still are good friends. Uh, we don't talk like we used to. But uh, it's, uh, you know, mutual respect that goes a long way back. I worked with his son for 20 years. Uh, so... Uh, he came, but I had been given the assignment before he even came to uh, 
to walk ahead of Owen Beaver. He toured our plant, and I, he knew the, the route. We had a map, but he wasn't familiar with our plant. Okay, so I was the point person, walking ahead of him, letting everybody know, you know, the international president's just behind me, so, you know, just know he's here and he's coming by. And you talk about a politician, this guy got in there in 45 minutes and shook every last person's hand in the plant. Every person shook his hand and he had his... And he said hi. There weren't pictures weren't allowed. We had one uh, brother that had cornered him for you know a couple minutes on his own personal issue, uh, and we we figured that was going to occur. Uh, and then we put him probably about you know eighty percent into the tour. That's when we come by his station. But you know it went well even with him. But I I led the way. And, you know, of course, you know, I says, you know, I'm, I'm Leroy, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to uh, be ahead of you, uh, so you just follow me going through the plant. And I'll let everybody know that you're coming so they can ready themselves to greet you and say hi. And he, okay, and lead the way. And so I did. And they had, you know, the 50 people around him as they were coming, but he was lead. And I was ahead of all of them, sort of, get, you know, going through the plant, making sure that everybody knew, you know, this is he's here, and he knew where to go, more importantly. So you just follow me, and it's going to be cool. And uh, it was really cool. It was amazing. You know, our, our own local union president said, you guys need to take a, a page out of his book. You need to learn. You, you, got, a, you got a real lesson on politicking right there, let me tell you. You know these poli- these these current presidents, and you know you see them. I mean, I we had like three in, in the, this cycle. Okay, <laughs> God help us. You know, uh, half of them. You know, they get to be president. The next thing you know, they're going to jail or indicted at least. Uh, you know, that that wasn't the case. These guys, you know, part of the reason they're having problems is they never get out there shaking anybody's hand. Here, here, here are the stories from the floor. Owen Beaver was a politician extraordinaire and don't anybody think he wasn't everybody that watched that knew the kind of brother he was second to none and when and you know you you hear me say that was part of our plan should we have ascended to leadership I want to go through a plant every Friday nationwide every Friday we're going to get through the region once a quarter. So it might not be every Friday, but we'll get through each region once a quarter. And as it were, there were like nine, now there may be eight regions. So we have a couple of, you know, Fridays that we have tie up with a holiday weekend or something like that. But that comes, that whole notion of doing that is from my experience of watching President Owen Bieber walk through our plant. And it was amazing to watch. He engaged each and every person and made them feel special. And we haven't had a president like that for a very long time. 
brother, may you rest in peace. And thank you. I know you made mistakes, as we all do. But thank you for everything you did. In the utmost, with the utmost responsibility to the membership, as I witnessed firsthand when you walked through our plant and my role in that with you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and everybody that watched that that's still alive would say the same thing. So, anybody else have any stories? I think I have a story here. Hello, Brother Tom. Brother Tom, are you there? There I am. I'm 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 here. Uh-huh. I'm here. You no, you, you have an Owen Beaver Beaver story? No, I I met him a long time ago uh, when I was uh, at one of the panel conferences. I believe it was uh, in Boston. It was the second week, I think, the first week we started off. No, it was the first week of PAL in uh, 99 or 2000. I can't actually remember the date, but it was in Boston, and uh, I met him uh, with uh, Mr. Fraser, uh, Mr. Irv Bluestone, Barry Bluestone's uh, father. He was, son, uh, right? They were all up there. He wrote the book about Youngstown. Pardon? Barry wrote the book Pardon? about Youngstown. And, uh, yeah, I met him, and every word you just spoke was true. I mean, uh, he just warmed up the room. I mean, when he when he came in, any question you asked him, he would take the time. He'd explain things to you if you didn't understand something. And uh, just just that whole group of people, outstanding individuals that uh, really made you proud to be a UAW member because of who they were and what they've done and what they passed on to that whole group I was with. I believe there was 25 or 26 of us uh, uh, all together that went to, you know, through that PAL uh, situation. But uh, an ex- exceptional individual and everything you said about him, uh, you didn't uh, lie about it. I mean, just a brief uh, half hour that we had an opportunity to sit there and talk with him as a group. Uh, he was a, a pool of knowledge and, and did not hesitate to answer anybody's question. Right. Yeah, I I took the Pell. Uh, and that, that was an amazing program, by the way. Uh, and Brother Dangent was the creator of that. And uh, he put... Uh, uh, the, the Rufus uh, Rufus Coleman, I think, was his name, right? Was he still there? He he retired before that. He was our yeah. uh, our, our coordinator for all the project for the whole project. Uh, I I can't remember Leroy. Yeah, yeah. Can't Anyhow, it, uh, I I got a chance to meet Doug Frazier, who was a, a adjunct professor at Wayne State University, come in at in the uh, Ann Arbor. Or the Ypsilanti, I guess they'd call it, uh, uh, segment of that. That well, that was our first week then, uh, and he was there and come in and spoke. I got a picture with him. Um, nice man. And of course, like you said, very uh, uh, Bluestone or yeah, Barry Bluestone was there, and that's uh, Irv Bluestone's son. And of course, he wrote that. We we all got a copy of his book, you know, in, as part of the class. And I got him sign that, and I had. Uh, Doug Fraser signed that book too, uh, as well. So interesting, yeah. Just 
just cool stuff, you know. And they were, they were, you know, they they were a cadre of people. Those presidents, you know, they they stayed in touch with each other, and they were always just available. You know, the job never ended, just never ended. I mean, some, you know, I, I've had some people that I really had a lot of respect for locally here, and when they got out of, you know, no longer there, they, the only thing they were there for was the money. You know, and um, you know, I've, I've sent some folk to them, and they just denied helping them. And I'm going, I can't believe you just did that after you were in charge of the cap, local cap for you know 25 years, and you you're now just turning your back on everybody, saying, "Oh, get somebody else to help." So I was a real disappointed in one of them. But these presidents, these international presidents like Frazier and uh, Bieber. Uh, and, you know, Jokic passed away right after he retired, but he was that kind of guy. You know, if you ran into him, you don't want to give him any BS, but because he would he would call you out on it in a heartbeat. Uh, but he, you know, he he was real and you know personable and uh, a good guy to you when you see him. So anyhow, so um, any more on on President Bieber, Tom? No, that's that's the you know experience I had with him. The brief time that uh, I spent with him, it, it, uh, I think uh, we got to meet uh, the deceased. But uh, back in those days, those it's just unfortunate that a lot of people don't understand what the UAW was all about back in that time. So. Right. That, that's why we're having this little discussion here tonight to try and let some of the younger people understand what our union was like when it really was run by people that cared and not just offered their money. You know, so it's just kind of sad what's going on now. And, you know, I mean, you know, nobody knew the motivation that I wanted to go out and be with the people once a a week. You know, it might not be at the same, obviously not the same facility. And then, you know, last week or two ago I talked about, you know, DeLorean Motors, going to them and just yep. saying, hey, I challenge you, I'll, I'll work for you for two weeks for free, you know, and I want to measure up to the people you got right here, right now, you know, and if I do, let's sit down and talk about you being unionized. We'd like to unionize you. And the advantages that you would get freeing up our membership to buy an American vehicle made here that you union UAW represented. So you wouldn't just sell, you know, 250 a year, you might sell 500 a year, but your pricing point would go up because, you know, you'd have people making higher wages that you can afford them. You know, and they're a unique car, for sure. So, wouldn't we like to organize them? And, you know, so, those those things in me are motivated by brothers and former former president and President Emeritus, Owen Bieber. Okay. Because they knew how, okay, and the people out there now raising their hand, they're just out there pandering to people and being insightful and and, be, and raising the anger level. I want to aspire to be that Owen Beaver guy, okay? That's me, just for everybody that's paying attention. They started trying to mimic what Leroy said, and you saw a few of them coming out right after the election in 2018. They'd go to the plants 
Jobs, you know. Even Mary Vera was doing it until it got old and it became work. And then now they're just, they don't care. I mean, they got through the contract. You'll never see them. Some of them you'll never see them again. The membership. Okay, well, uh, let's uh, uh, move on to the next one, I guess. Um, unless you have anything else, Tom, so. Just kind of disheartening right. sometimes. Now, so. No, no. No, I don't have anything at this time, Leroy. Okay, well, uh, let me get into, uh, we're going to take these out of order. Uh, as t- uh, with, regarding Mike Grimes, the administrative assistant to Cindy Estrada and the GM department for a long time, and I think somebody else after that or before her. And, uh, he, uh, you know, he's had a higher level rate of pay because he was a, uh, uh, assistant director uh, for those people, and you know that that's substantially more than a line international staff rep. Uh, so, you know, he, he made good money, and you know he wanted to impress his family with his money. Well, you forgot, brother, that you were somebody that used to work at Chevrolet Flint Manufacturing not too far from me, on the floor. And I think you hired in in 95, about six years after me. And you just simply forgot where you came from. Okay. Being an international staff rep has a lot of prestige. And as you move up the ladder, you get even more prestige. But you have to live within your limits. Okay, you can't be out there thinking that you're a millionaire when you're a thousand, ten thousand, or a hundred thousandaire. Okay, and then in the end, you lost it all, didn't you? And as I recall, it was 56 months, and they reduced it to 28. So is it enough? Well, according to the federal. Uh, investigators in the FBI and the Justice Department. They reduced it from 56 months to 28. Now, the federal guidelines give you a range from which you're supposed to work with. And that's where, like somebody like Norwood Jewell got, what did he get, 14 months or something like that? He's still in prison. Okay. And so... Uh, Rhymes had a greater crime and the penalty went higher. The sentencing guidelines went higher because I imagine this is still his first offense and stuff in this instance. But it was substantially more money, so off it went, way up, you know, way up the pole here. But for reasons that we don't know, that he... Uh, worked with the investigators, they decided they would give him a little break. Still within the sentencing guidelines, but a break nonetheless. So could he have gotten 28 and reduced to 14? I suppose that's possible on the lower end of the guidelines, but they've moved it up. So if they did reduce it by half, 
okay, it was still going to be substantial. This is more than two years. Okay, in federal court, in a federal prison, you have to serve 80% of your time. So he's going to serve about 23 or 4 months in his 80%. And we're well familiar with that because of our friends in trafficking. We've got 10 years and served 8. Congressman Jim Trafficking, by the way, the only congressman to ever go to prison as a sitting United States House of Representatives member. So that's what he can expect to serve, you know, 23 months, 24 months, somewhere in there, about 80%. Might even be as low as 22. I'm not, I didn't, I'm not doing the math. I'm just rounding it there. So, But is 28 enough? Not from anywhere where the rest of us are sitting, but from what he did to the, you know, uh, the union is a horrible thing, but, but what did he say to the prosecutors? You know, they might find that he gave them information of value so that they gave him a little break. But understand this. Every nickel that he had and 25% of every nickel that he's going to get in the future are going to be garnished for restitution. Everything from this man and his wife and any. Uh, the, the really cool thing is that they're going to follow the money that any time this money was transferred into another business deal, they're going to go and undo that business deal and recapture that money as well. And that's precedent setting for some other things that I'm working on, by the way, that may get Michigan an extra $2 billion annually but I'm still making that case to the elected officials. Just know there's lots going on. Okay? We're not just standing here in front of a camera once a week or standing wherever and saying, follow us. Follow us if you want. We don't care. Just know that we're out there doing stuff for you. My crimes didn't get enough by any standard except for those people that found value in what he sung like a little bird to them about to save his own ass. The other 28 months he would have gotten. So if he'd have got to 56, okay, he'd have served 80%, you know, something like, what, 49 months, something like that, a little over four years. Okay, that's my crime story. Everybody's got an opinion. He didn't get enough, but, you know, if he's helping to clean up our union by singing like a bird, so be it. I can tell you this, and everybody down there at Solidarity House worried about who's going next. Yep. I know that for a fact. And we're still watching. And we said when Rory came in, we're going to watch and see how much you do. And we're still watching. And the things that we're watching that are important have not been fixed at all. Until you fix them, you know, we're not impressed. All right. So next one. We're getting long. 
this is cool here. This is their headline tonight. Better way to tie bar the IEB salary. Well, you watched the weak people out there saying, oh, you got to just roll back their salary and then give them what they should get, you know, and, and another vote. Well, because it shouldn't be tie bar to the staff people that they negotiate their, their wages for. All right. Well, let's just take that a little bit further. If you're going to do it, do it right, okay, because the membership should, membership should benefit if they're going to tie bar money to anything, their wages. Okay, and I've been a fan of this for a while, but let's just put it out there in black and white and loud and, and, uh, and you know, for everybody's edification, okay? Let's go back to 19, or 2014 wage levels and set a baseline there. And from that, any wages, salaries would be tied, of the IEB and the international staff would be tie-barred to the following at 2014 levels. And then they could apply that after they roll back the two, if they want to roll back the 2018, go ahead and do that. But then apply it against this measure based on the two, two, 2014 wage amounts. Okay? So, here it goes. Tie bar the overall aggregate wage uh, aggregate average of the following is expressed as an hourly rate and establish a baseline using 2014 amounts. From the 2014 wage amounts from the entire general membership of each of the UAW divisions, industrial, TOPS, technical, office, professional service persons, and IPS, independent part suppliers, those three divisions are basically everybody in our union, right? Everybody. Industrial, TOPS, and IPS, those divisions. Select the wage of the 10 lowest members, active members, and the 10 highest active members, and the 10 lowest retirees, principal retirees, and the 10 highest principal retirees. Pension amounts. Okay, so you got uh, you actually have uh, ten lowest and ten highest of the active workers, their wages, ten lowest and highest of the principal retiree pensions. Okay, and you convert those the pensions, you convert them to an hourly rate, divide them by 173.3. That gives you an hourly rate, as well as take the average wage for the entire division as expressed as 20 wage amounts. Okay, so you got 20 from the lowest active and retiree, 20 from the highest or highest active and retiree, and 20 from the middle average for the whole division, yielding 60 wage amounts from each division for a total of 180 wage amounts. Take those 180 wage amounts the time of the 2014 Constitutional Convention, and those are available because they can check, they can simply check the dues reg, uh, register. Those are still available. And average those 180 into a single number, wage number, and then that amount will be the baseline for all time for the IEB wages. And 
if you want, you can tie bar those back down to the shaft wages as well. That doesn't, we didn't write that out this time, but you could. What that does, brothers and sisters, it means that they only get a, a wage increase or a wage decrease, which is possible under this calculation, based on the performance and the wages of the entire UAW, specifically the lowest wages from uh, active and retiree pensions from industrial, TOPS, and IPS, and the highest wages from industrial and retiree pension from primary pension. That doesn't include a a, a spouse, surviving spouse, because this is for the primary pension in order to calculate it properly. Highest uh, active wage and the highest pension. That means they can't trot around with the lowest levels or the highest levels to get advantage themselves. And if you take a mean from average from the whole division and then from each division, it gives you 180 numbers that you then, you know, put all those 180 in and say, we don't know where that number is going to be. Whatever that number is, it's tie barred to the 2014 wages of the IEB. And then you recalculate it again in 2018 and give them the increase or the decrease on their wages. They don't just automatically sit in their office and get a wage increase every time. That means that ends, that ends all of this. We're going to send down the international to tell uh, Lordstown chairperson that you're going to send everybody in uh, from the current umbrella agreement and you're going to ship them over into uh, GM Subsystems LLC uh, and each one of the uh, material handling people are going to make that move, and they're no no longer going to make the uh, $31 an hour now, $31.70, whatever it is, down to the $23 at GM LLC, for example, Subsystems, GM Subsystems LLC. All of those mass moves into lower wages would cease to occur if, the international union's wages were tie-barred to the actual members they represent. That would cease all of that. And if they wanted an increase in their wages, they'd have to get an increase in our wages and pension. Right? So who did that, what did that just do? Instead of being a bunch of blowhards saying, well, we'll just vote on it, in our special convention, whatever we think we should give them. That doesn't advantage the membership at all. This formula ties them directly to us. And I'd be happy to accept that because everybody would start performing like union officers instead of union executives, right? Because Owen Bieber was a union officer, not a union executive. He worked for the union. He didn't work for a corporation. It It is a corporation, a non-profit corporation. But he didn't view it as a corporation like a lot of them currently do. It was a union when he was a leader. Okay. Now, we're willing to hear more on this, adjust it, talk about it, you like it, you don't like it. 
send us emails, UAW, I'm sorry, working for a living at workingforaliving.com. That's our email address. Send them in. Send them on the PM to any one of us that here on the on live or Jeff, Tom, or myself. And get us your comments on this. Do you think that the international should be high barred to the wages they represent? To the people they represent? Or it just should be some willy-nilly, let's pull something out of the air and we'll vote on it? Because I think if we make them truly accountable, like they, other people say, we're gonna, we want real accountability. Well, you don't get accountability by talking about it. You get accountability like putting something together like this. And it didn't come from anybody else other than working for a living. Everybody starts to need to start wrapping their head around that. This organization is helping the membership in a lot of ways. And this is one of those. We're not talking about some pie in the eye. Let's, let's roll them back and then we'll vote on what we think they should get. Doesn't any sound wimpy to you, doesn't it? Sounds wimpy to me. Anyhow. So, any questions on that, Jeff or Tom? Comments? Uh, no, sir. No, I have none, Will you, You okay with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it here right in front of me. Everything, yeah. every, everything uh, is on here is, is reasonable. Yeah. 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 If you want a wage, you know, it's it's like they wanted to raise dues. You know, my my answer was get higher wages. Okay? Don't just come after us for dues. Get our wages increased. Get our membership increased. That's how you get higher dues. Come on, guys. You know, and then you tie it to this alley and watch how the union changes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. So, uh, regarding the appeal, I told you last week I had mail that I uh, had, and I had to go pick up this. And, you know, that, of course, that was a holiday weekend, so I couldn't pick it up till Tuesday. And I was thinking it would be from the international, either remanding it back to the local or, you know, uh, recusing themselves and moving it to PRV because that, the way I wrote that appeal is they shouldn't probably act on it. So uh, neither of those occurred. However, I did get a, a, a certified letter, and this is what the letter said. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out loud right here publicly so that everybody understands the quality of officers at both the international, because that should have occurred, and the quality officers at my own local union. I'm going to call them out because they, they, uh, this is pretty sad, and we'll get into what it doesn't have. Okay, uh, there is no date on it. Okay, there's no date saying this. Okay, uh, to whom it may concern. It's not addressed to me. It's just to whom it may concern. Okay, now I signed and, and printed my name on the original appeal. One at the bottom of it. It's 10 pages, 11 pages. Okay, so I, I signed my name and printed my name at the bottom of it. So they know who put it in. And they know my signature at my local union. Believe me, the people who are still there know my signature. Okay, to whom am I concerned? It is the determination of this executive board that the appeal of the vote 
of the 2019 UAW General Motors contract ratification is not valid. A member cannot vote on the contract. On the contract, does, who cannot vote on the contract does not have the ability to vote or to appeal. In solidarity, UAW local uh, executive board, and we're not called out by a number, but everybody knows what local I'm from, pretty much. So um, it's not signed. That means it's not a legal document. Doesn't have a date. It's not addressed to a specific person, and it's not signed. Okay. And while it is true that as a retiree I may not vote to affect the outcome of a ratification vote, okay, and that's spelled out in the Constitution, what is not spelled out in the Constitution is saying that I cannot vote on it. And there are legal reasons for that, okay? There are legal reasons for that because, one, the contract may, even though I couldn't affect the outcome, I can appeal the outcome because it affected me directly. The outcome affected me directly. And if it violates the Constitution, then I appeal that it affected me directly by violating the Constitution. Okay? And then there's this little thing called Section 7 of federal law, 29 U.S.C. 157 for those paying attention. And that says, we have protected concerted activity as long as we do it to help the membership. This appeal falls in that category. So we have an MLRB problem with this letter as well. And there's some other problems I'm not going to get into that are nuances and slightly, uh, a little slighter than... What, what I just told you. Um, of course, you know, to whom it may concern, and then they, the body of the, 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 I mean, it's two sentences, two and a half lines. Um, had they not intended the first one, it just be two lines and a couple words. Uh, so the body of it, notwithstanding that they, they, to whom it may concern, okay, the body of it, indicates that they're talking to somebody who can't vote on a ratification vote. Again, no retiree, it's spelled out in the Constitution, can vote on a uh, ratification vote in order to affect the contract, approval or non-approval. But the result is open for everybody to consider, accept or appeal. Okay. So, and the Constitution does not preclude a retiree from making such appeal. Very specific in the limits of what a, what a retiree can do. There's five things we can't do, and that is uh, voter vote to start, vote to stop strike. There's to vote uh, hold office of anybody that handles local union uh, or grievances at the local union level. That's how that's worded. And you may not vote for anybody who can uh, um, handle, or you may not hold office for anybody that handles uh, the uh, local grievances at the local union level. Okay, and then you may not uh, vote to ratify in a, uh, an agreement, but that doesn't say you can't appeal it. It specifically 
void of that in the, in the UAW Constitution for the very reasons that I just told you. And then we get into age discrimination because you're saying, oh, you're a retiree, you're too old to vote on it. Okay, that's one Title IX violation right there. And then a violation of 157, section, what's called, normally called Section 7 by the NLRB, that I have protected concerted activity that I'm allowed to do. Once the outcome has been determined, I do have the ability to appeal it. We talked about that on the radio show some time ago. Okay. I'm told that my local union executive board had not seen this document. Okay, let's talk about the timeliness of it. Given that I didn't get anything from the international union, remanding it back to the local union, pushed it up there. Uh, I got this around day 100 after three executive board meetings and two general membership meetings from the time I submitted it. I would say that would be untimely. Okay, so that's the other problem with this. Okay, and if they're saying that they have language that precludes me, real language that's, that's you know, part of the procedure that was set that says that a retiree cannot appeal it, appealable, first of all. But if they have such language, that if there's a codified version of, that's different from my constitution that they have, I'd like to see it because guess what? It probably has the timeliness value in there as well. And 100 days is not in compliance with any appeal that I've seen to be able to answer it from the local union level. The first executive board and or first general membership meeting, and it's supposed to go to the general membership meeting in order to be voted on. But they just determined that I couldn't have a hearing there. Okay, so that's a problem. But the timeliness of it, if there is codified words out there in some regard, they clearly would have first executive order, first general membership meeting, this has to be addressed. Not after three general or three executive boards and two general membership meetings that something comes from it. A hundred days from I got it, from when I appealed it. Over 100, actually. And that's untimely. And that then would be subject, if their language, if they want to show me some language like that, then there would be subject to Article 31 charges violating the Constitution and or procedures set in accordance with the Constitution. So let's just go down that road, brothers and sisters. Let's just see how far you want to go. How many of you want to lose your membership with this bullshit you're sending me? Because that's where I'm at with you. The next move is to appeal it to the International Union and to chastise my local union and ask them the same question that I just asked here on the air. And if they do have such language, the next thing that will happen to them, Article 31 charges, challenging their own membership and taking because it will be successful. Remember, I've defended seven successfully. I know how to prosecute Article 31 very, very well as, at the same time. Go ahead. Call my bluff. You think I'm screwing around here? This is about the membership 
Because guess what? Every last person that approved or negotiated the contract of, that was ratified in October of 2019 is subject to losing their membership if it's affirmed that the appeal, the language in the appeal is actually violating the Constitution because I defer to higher persons with authority and credentials to determine that. Okay? I'm not screwing around. We got six minutes. Anybody else got anything to say about that? No, I, 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 I would only add yes, to that, Leroy, that go ahead, Tom. you basically are appealing exactly what you just said, the language that, uh, that we have in our UAW Constitution in regards to the outcome of the election. We are not appealing the vote count. No. That has nothing to do with it. All right. So if I'm incorrect, cor- correct me. So where they come up with this bull crap about not being able to vote, we, we've we never Appeal. brought that into the equation, have we? Right. No, we've never said we had a right to vote. And, it, and I've said it. I know it off the top of my head, the five things that we can't do as a retiree. Right. Okay. I, I committed them. I just, I just, you know, pulled them off the top of my head just now. That's not written on any of our our crib notes here on the on the show. You know, I've committed that to sure. memory. The things like we can and can't do, okay, and we, we can are, appeal. It's not prohibited. Are we, are we dealing with incompetence at the local level here that they don't even know what they're they're dealing with here? Because what you read there, no. No time stamp on it, uh, not direct, uh, directed to, to the person making the appeal. Uh, what's going on anymore? With, who, who's giving these folks advice? Is, isn't there someplace they can go for help at the international or talk to one of the staff members in regards to the appeal procedure? I mean, what, what, what has happened to the UAW at the local level? I mean, I sat here. For almost a year watching things appear before my very eyes locally here with people being backed into a corner, wittingly or non-wittingly, and, and virtually agreed to something that, that, that boxed them in and they couldn't get out of it. There was no way they could get out of it signing documents that actually were wit-sawing documents that they allowed to happen. Now we're looking at this. At, at the local level mm-hmm. up there, I, I don't understand what's going on. You know, I, I need help. Yeah, the number, yeah, in addition to what, what you said, it's not signed either, okay? Not addressed to anybody, not dated, and it's not signed, okay? I mean, it's addressed to whom it's concerned, but that's not a specific person, okay? The, the stationary, so, was yeah, it on, on your local local union stationary? Yeah, it's on local union stationary. It looks, you know, kind of, you know, it's nothing like we used to have, but it says, you know, UAW or local number and a couple of wheels up in the top. I mean, you you know, it's it's there. You know, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know who's telling them to send stuff, to, you know, to whom it may concern, not sign it and not, not date it. It's not a legal document, but I have to, you know, proceed as if it's a legal document because it was addressed to me and I signed for it in certified mail. So that's where we're going right. with it, and I'll take it accordingly and, and do what, you know, what we have to do in order to appeal to the next highest level. Um, 
So having said all of that, uh, uh, you're right, Tom. I mean, you know, what's going on? I mean, it, it speaks to the, the email that we, the one last week and the one this week that says everybody's thinking the same thing that guy's thinking or that person. We, it wasn't a, you know, we're not going to disclose. We got 90 second warning here in case everybody's Well, well I'm gonna, Let me close I'm, it up, I'm Tom. Gonna say that. Yeah, I'm going to say this one thing, yeah. basically. And I've always been behind the UAW, and I don't want to see it, it being taken over by the federal gov- government. But God, by God, somebody needs to give the goddamn international an enema. Right, right. And this appeal does that, by the way. So. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you. Let me close it out. Thanks, thanks uh, to Jeff and Tom for assisting tonight, being on the show, and for their, their input throughout the week all the time. Uh, also, uh, thanks to our global listeners, everybody in North America, union and non-union, our UAW listeners. If you find value, tell everybody else or just one more person about this. Lots of stuff going on here. Uh, have, faith, uh, have fun and have uh, stay safe in the coming week. God bless each and every one of you. Good night, Tom, and good night, Jeff. Good night, listeners. Just barely got under the wire. Good night. Good night. Good night.